0: All right, my friends, welcome back to another episode and another season of the Build Show podcast. That's right. My weekly time to get together with you guys and go deep. This is season three now, our very first episode in season three. I've got a really cool guest with me in the studio today. And I got to say, I'm thankful we're podcasting. Hopefully you're listening to this and not watching because my face looks like total mincemeat today. <laughs> I've been going through a, uh, a treatment over the Christmas break uh, for this, I forget what the dermatologist called this, advanced keratosis or something. It's basically precancerous cells. And before we get into the podcast, this is my PSA to all of you young builders watching out there. I did not wear a lot of sunscreen in my 20s and 30s. It probably wasn't until I was 40. Uh, that I got serious about wearing sunscreen. And if you're watching the video version of this right now, my face looks terrible because I've been burning off with this chemical uh, lotion, basically, uh, all these precancerous cells. Now, hopefully I'm going to look better here in a couple weeks, uh, but I am thankful be, to be behind the mic. And and uh, I would tell you, don't watch. Normally, I say go watch this on Build Network, but this time I'm going to say, hey, if you're watching this on BuildShareNetwork.com, why don't you go over and listen to this on iTunes instead? <laughs> With that being said, guys, let's get going. I want to introduce you to Curtis Lawson. Uh, Curtis is a builder in Houston, Texas, and we actually met at the Houston HBA Custom Builder Council event. Right, Curtis? Right. Uh, gosh, how long ago was that? A couple, two, or three months ago. Yeah, three, four months. And as I've gotten to know you, Curtis, I, I find your business fascinating. I also find that we have a lot of parallels in our lives and our businesses. So on this podcast, uh, I really want to spend some time understanding how you got into the business and what you do, because I think we have a lot of lessons that our audience, and frankly, I could learn from you, both on the marketing side of what you've done to market your construction company, but you also have a whole nother business, which I think is fascinating. And I want to spend some time on this podcast talking about kind of business diversity. And a subtopic under both of those is how do we get paid as builders before we sign a contract and actually start a construction project? Mm -hmm. And that's something I think you and I, Uh, in our 25 years of construction have finally started to figure out. Uh, Certainly did not figure it out in the early (laughs) years of owning my construction company. So before we jump into all that though, uh, tell us about you, Curtis, uh, where you're located, what your company
1: names are, and how can people find your podcast too? Sure. Um, I am in Houston, Texas. Um, I have a home building company called Crafted Custom Homes. Mm-hmm. We generally just go by Crafted. And um, so we build custom homes. We do a lot of remodeling projects as well, pretty similar to what you guys do. Um, and then I have a separate company called Shepherd Construction Advisors. And Shepard is a owner's representation and construction consulting company, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't sound like it means much, right? But it's uh, what we do is we help people um, make sure that they get the project outcome that they expect hmm. um, from their builder, their architect, and from their team. And so we help manage that process. And then we also help get it get troubled projects back on track. Ooh. So if people are having problems with builders, Um, problems with their project in general, weird problems with their house, we help get those solved.
0: Super interesting. Define the term though, because I bet there's some people listening that have no idea what an owner's rep means or what that term even uh, kind of stands for. What does that mean to be an owner's rep? Yes. So an owner's
1: rep basically stands in place for the owner in the project. And in the past, it's typically been um, higher net worth, higher net worth individuals, mm-hmm. um, who maybe don't have the time to be involved, or the desire to be involved, or maybe maybe they're traveling a lot. And so they hire an owner's rep to manage the process and kind of be them in mm-hmm. the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would tell you this is kind of a side note, but I would tell you that some builders don't like
0: owner's reps, right. Uh, and my experience has been the exact opposite where I've I've only done two projects now that I had owner's reps. And they went phenomenally better than had they not been there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I have this like, oh my gosh, great, there's an owner's rep involved kind of feeling when I hear uh, that someone's thinking about an owner's rep or they've got one. And quick story about that, uh, funny enough, they had a similar name, a firm out of Boston because the client was in Boston, building a house in Texas, Shepherd something, I forget Mm. their their name, but I, I love that name, like you're herding, you're caring for, you're making sure the wolves are at bay, Exactly, uh, kind of a biblical reference there. But yeah. that shepherding really is a really um, all-encompassing term for uh, what you do in this whole idea of uh, owner's rep where you're kind of, you understand the process, you are a builder. And in fact, the owner's rep company that I worked out of Boston had uh, a couple of licensed architects that were part of the firm. They've been doing it for years. and Instead of a client who maybe has a bunch of uh, misconstrued ideas about what the project should look like or how it should go, I was dealing with these owner's reps that knew exactly what they were doing, had done it many times, and knew that we were in this together to get a successful outcome for the owner, and it
1: was awesome so sometimes it's all the different parties have their own vision of what it's going to look like Mm -hmm. and so you have to have one person who's going to kind of pull that together and create this this unified vision for the project because everyone has their own agenda right the builder the architect the interior designer everybody has their own agenda Mm -hmm. and so somebody has to kind of pull those together and um I, i guess communicate the owner's vision for the project yeah now
0: tell me, how would you get into that? Like, did you have a, a client at some point, uh, or a friend of a friend say, "Hey, I've got this issue in my problem with my project," uh, and you're like, "Yeah, I could, I could probably help out with that. How about seventy-five dollars an hour for right. my time or something?" Tell, tell us how you got started.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. So I had um, architects that we worked with, and just you know, friends that know you're in the business call you and say, "Hey, I'm having this weird problem with my project. Can you come check it out?" Um, And I just kept seeing the same issues over and over. And and generally it's the same mistakes being made over Mm -hmm. and over in the process. And it kind of boils Mm -hmm. down most of the time to like a lack of planning or a lack of a defined scope of work, Mm -hmm. or sometimes just flat out hiring the wrong builder for the project. And so um, we would just get a lot of those kinds of calls um, when I was working under Crafted. And I said, you know, there's a market opportunity here for helping people. Because that's really my heart is to. I hate seeing people get taken advantage of, and I hate seeing projects go badly. So yeah. it, we created that uh, in an effort to just help people make sure their projects get executed properly.
0: Interesting. And how long has it been since you started this whole other business from your home building company?
1: Just two years. This okay. is this, this is like our start. The start of our third year, I guess.
0: Gotcha. Um, just you in that business currently? Do you have other folks that are working in that business as well?
1: It's just me. Uh, we pull in some consultants as needed, but right now it's just me. The thought is that it won't stay that way, but um, it's uh, it's hard to replace um, somebody like you know you, you or I hmm. who kind of has that knowledge base that you kind of have to have to sure. fill that role.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And are you ever doing expert witness? Uh, work as well? Mm -hmm. Or are you mainly just shepherding projects that uh, have gone sideways to keep them back on the rails?
1: Yeah. So if things go really badly, we will get called in to do expert witness work as well. Uh, go out and do some field observations, write reports. uh, And then if we have to, to to go to court.
0: Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Now, uh, talk to me about how that's, this second business has informed this idea that I brought up earlier, which is you know, how do we get paid for our time as builders? Because our time's super valuable Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of builders out there, especially in in changing market times that end up spending a lot of time with clients that don't end up having a real project or the project doesn't end up going. So I'd love to hear about your construction business and maybe how your consulting
1: business uh,
0: has informed your thoughts about getting paid as a builder for your time.
1: Yeah. So one of the biggest problems that I see in projects as a owner's rep or as a consultant is, again, just this lack of, of planning up front. And that usually stems from people rushing into a contract. Um, the builder, if they're not getting paid for their time up front, doesn't want to spend a lot of time fleshing out the details for free. Mm-hmm. And so it's, hey, let's just put, throw a bunch of allowances and assumptions in there, get you under contract and get started. And so there's not really a defined scope of work, there's not really a defined expectation of how things are gonna turn out, and that's how things get sideways. So I think as builders, when we uh, charge for our time up front, when, when the when the client's paying for your time up front, it means they value you, they value your knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we wanna do, is we, we wanna work with people who value our time. That's right. Because that means they're probably gonna be good clients longer term. If they're willing to pay for our time up front, they're probably gonna be good clients the project, so yeah, for sure. Uh, just really, uh, the key is just to spend that time up front to fully flesh out all the details before we ever even turn a spade of dirt. Mm-hmm. For sure, and uh,
0: what I call that uh, kind of billing document or that that uh, kind of uh, contract, light I call it my professional services agreement. I think mm-hmm. kind of generally. That must have been a, a term coined by somebody in the Home Builders Association yeah. over the years because I've heard that thrown out a lot at Custom Builder Council meetings. Um, but we, charge, we used to charge like $2,500, then we upped it to maybe $5,000. These days, we're charging anywhere from ten dollars to $20,000 uh, and asking for a deposit on our time. Mm-hmm. After we've had a free initial interview and usually some amount of frank budget discussion, which I always call a airplane level bar park on the project. Yes. Like, if I'm flying the airplane over your house, here's what I, I'm thinking it probably costs. Mm-hmm. That way, they're not thinking it's a million dollar project, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be three million uh, if they hire us for, based on what I'm seeing here. So then they'll hire us, and then what we do is we bill hourly uh, against that deposit. And we only bill, interestingly enough, though, as I'm talking about this, I'm wondering if I should change this, but we only bill our estimator's time we don't bill any of the um, kind of builder time. I have I've two other uh, guys that help me run my home building company, uh, Steve and Tim, that have been on the podcast a bunch. And we don't, the three of us don't bill our hourly rate towards that deposit. We only bill our estimator. It does make me wonder if we should, at some point, consider charging for our time as well.
1: Yeah, we do the same thing. So we, we function exactly the same. We... We call it a pre-construction services agreement, mm-hmm. similar or so. Since we're a design-build, uh, it could be a design agreement uh-huh. uh, falls there under the same the same umbrella. But we're taking a retainer of x number of hours. Usually, it's forty to eighty hour retainer, and then drawing against that until we use it up. Then um, get another retainer for expected hours to finish out the design process. Gotcha. And what that also does is it it establishes so if if you're going to work under a um, a time of materials or cost plus contract, whatever you want to call that. I like time of materials better than cost plus. Um, But if you're going to work under that contract, you're kind of setting the precedent of this is how we work. You know, again, you're valuing our time as a professional, uh, and and we're going to bill you for our time that we spend, you know, developing and executing your project.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really good. What advice would you have for the younger builders out there that are still, Uh, You know, really doing generally everything for free until they get to a contract. Stop. Stop. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) That's good advice. All right. One one single word is all
1: he had to tell us. It's one of those things that I I struggled with doing too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you and I have both been in the um, NAHB Builder 20 groups. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that was the key for me. That's when the light bulb went off as I got in this group of guys, I was still doing free estimates yeah. at the time. Yeah. And these guys were like, Curtis, stop. Um, and when I did, it totally transformed my business. Mm. We went from um, just spinning our wheels and wasting time on projects that we're never gonna get, that weren't a good fit um, to, you know, getting paid for all that time that we're spending. And if, if the side benefit is you're weeding out people that maybe you don't want to work with yeah. that aren't a good fit. Maybe you can pick up on the crazy factor, uh, early on. Maybe That's huge. not always.
0: Yeah, not always. Um, but one, one thing that I did, which, uh, I think is a good piece of advice too, is to hire people where you are weak, uh, and know your strengths. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Enneagrams are real popular these days and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not into them, but I, I have a buddy who's really into them. Uh, and, Forget Enneagrams, just know what you're good at and where you're not good, Mm -hmm. hire people that are good. And for me, one of the things was uh, that I was not good at over over the past years. I was not great at being really hard on either contract terms or on billing or whatever. And as a result, I put my company in a lot of jeopardy uh, many times over the years because I was trying to be nice because I was wanting to be liked by the clients. Uh, or whatever it was. And so I hired somebody uh, who was really good at the business side and had no problems uh, with not being liked yeah. <laughs> and saying, Look, your draws are due on the 10th. We invoice on the 5th. You need to get them to us in five days. And our contract terms state X, Y, and Z. And in mm-hmm. fact, uh, you know, in the first year he worked with me, we had several clients that were late on draws. We stopped. Uh, construction on a job or two. We put a lien on a job or two. I mean, we just got really serious about like, we, we need your cash to build your job. We're not going to use our own money to build your job or someone else's or someone else's exactly. Uh, So that's one of my keys for making that switch to, um, to kind of valuing my time. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask you, Curtis, about marketing, though. It's one of the things that we mentioned at the very uh, top of the, the podcast that uh, you and I hung out by my, my fireplace last night at my house, and we're kind of talking about this. I want to redo that conversation for these guys a little bit. Talk to me about how you marketed uh, this brand new business of yours that's now just two years in, because you've got the home building company that's established, mm-hmm. people... Uh, you're known as crafted. You're not uh, Lawson
1: Homes, right? You're crafted. We used uh, to be huge. Huge change. You did used to be. Tell me. Tell me yeah. about that change. And 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 for builders listening, uh, this is, in my opinion, a very important thing to consider doing if you ever want to maybe sell your business one day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to sell Curtis Lawson Homes. Uh, so we said, hey, let's rebrand to. Something that maybe I, you know I can sell one day. So we changed names to Crafted mm-hmm. uh, about five years ago, and the the side benefit is, uh, you know, when your name when your name is on the sign and something goes wrong, who are they going to call? All right, right. They're going to call Curtis Lawson. They're going to sure. ca- call Matt. So when when you're uh, taking more of a team approach and you're called Crafted now instead of Curtis Lawson Homes, they're going to call the appropriate person. They should be calling mm-hmm. and not. The owner at nine o'clock at night, yeah. Um, and again, it, you're, you're creating something that is, is a marketable business for you, for your children, whatever.
0: Yeah, that's really smart, and conversely. Your uh, shepherding company Sh- is it Shepherd Construction Consulting? Yeah, Shepherd That's Construction Advisors. Construction yep. Advisors, pardon me, is also not Lawson uh, Consulting. Correct. Right? So talk to me about you that you started that two years ago. How did you get business rolling for that business? Like, what was your mm-hmm. marketing technique?
1: So at first, it was just you know, again, we had a, a good base of architects that we work with with Crafted that that we like and that know that we generally know what we're doing. Uh, so when we started this business, my first go-to was architects. So me and my, and my, uh, my teenage daughters also, uh, we spent a, a great number of hours on Google, 50 pages deep on Google, finding every architect in the kind of the greater Houston area How about that? Um, and interior designers too. And um, there were way more architects than I thought there would be. There's like 150 or more that, we could, that we could find in Houston. So we made this database, you know, name, address, phone number, email. And I just started sending every one of these guys a personalized email.
0: Not like a, uh, not like an email form, like, Mm-mm. hi, Mr. Architect, Mrs. Architect. No, I'd I, like
1: to tell you about X, Y, and Z. I took the time to personalize every single email. Wow. Um, some of them we knew, so we would modify it to make it more personal. Like, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. Um, if we've never met them before, just a couple paragraphs about, hey, this is who we are, this is what we do and I'd love to take you to coffee. I'd mm. love to, to buy you lunch or breakfast or whatever. And out of those 150 uh, people that were on our list, I probably met 50 people fa- wow. face-to-face in, in, in maybe three months.
0: Dang. So
1: I spent some money on coffee, you know? You did. But uh, man, it was it was fantastic. We've got so many uh, referrals, both for Shepherd and for Crafted, because when, when I'm having that conversation, I'm talking about both companies. And we've gotten some fantastic projects for Crafted, as well as referrals for Shepherd.
0: That is marketing 101 right there, <laughs> Curtis. I hope that you listen to that. And I would say forward this podcast to all your builder buddies, because this is uh, old school, original, uh, you might as well be knocking on their door marketing by sending them an email and not sending a form letter, but saying, you know, Jim, Nancy, Carrie, whoever it was, I haven't met you, and this is something that I think could be valuable to you, and I'd like to learn more about uh, your company as well and see where the synergies are. And I think that so many builders are hesitant to do that because they think, oh, you know, they get bombarded with requests for lunch or coffee. And I'll tell you what, yes, I do, but not that many. And mm-hmm. as a result, a lot of people that contact me – I'm not telling you to do this necessarily <laughs> – I do have a coffee with them. I do go, not as much lunch, but I do spend 15 or 20 minutes with them. I do, all the time, I have phone calls with people that are builders in some random spot that have a question that, uh, you know, I am hard to get to, get a hold of, but, uh, but that's a side note. But I think it's really, really interesting that you got over your fear of rejection, for lack of a better term, yeah. and asked your prom date out, and she said yes. Yeah, You're never going to hit a pitch that you don't swing at. That's right. That's huge. That is so valuable. And now two years later, looking back on that, uh, are, is that a regular part of your marketing campaign where you're, you're yeah. still prospecting and doing that? Or is yep. that was that a one time event?
1: No, I, I've, I've sent follow up emails to my whole list, and I've gotten more responses. And in fact, I just told my assistant, uh, this week, it, we need to start scheduling another series of coffees and lunches yeah. for the for, for, for first quarter to try to develop these relationships more. That's really, really cool. And, and so the first pass, we just hit architects. The second pass, we're gonna add in the interior designers. Mm-hmm. And I think interior designers are, are really a key too, um, again, for two reasons. They might have projects that they can refer us to, That's right. Uh, that maybe there's not an architect yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably not a builder. Um, but then also um, often people who are just working with a designer, they may not have a legitimate contractor builder. Maybe they're trying to kind of do it on their own. And so they see a whole another set of problems as well that we can also help with.
0: That's really cool. I think the other takeaway that's interesting on on this is, uh, uh, you know, if you're a builder, remodeler, contractor or even architect, figuring out what your potential referral source is and focusing on them for marketing means that your amount of time, which in your case was significant, you sounds like you really focused on this for two or three months, but you were focused here rather than shotgunning out, uh, you know, an ad in some Houston builder magazine yeah. or some, uh, you know, other huge approach that would maybe touch some of those people, but also touch a hundred X other people that had nothing to do with your business. And that's really my, I think that's been my, um, success as well in both in my home building company and in some respects my youtube channel the build show has been i'm always focused on builders and remodelers and yes there's architects and there's some homeowners watching but i'm always thinking that's my audience and when i was marketing my home building company as a brand new builder that had not been in business uh previous this is you know i started my company in 2005 I realized that architects in particular in Austin, Texas, were a great referral source. And like you, I figured out, well, there's really only about 100 or so of them. So if I'm just talking to those 100 people in every way that I could, that's the source uh, of those referrals. And, and that for me was a motivator to continue on social media in my early days of my company. Uh, you know, 2007, eight, nine, I was doing Facebook. Uh, and, and I always told people that was kind of like, uh, going to the bar was going on Facebook for 15 minutes. Cause you'd see some of your friends at the bar and talk business or talk about their kids softball. And that was Facebook. I'm not on Facebook anymore, but, uh, that then transferred to me to maybe a little bit. I spent some time dabbling with Twitter, uh, in the last five to seven years, I've been really focusing my time on Instagram. Um, but I would still tell the builders or modelers listening that, there still is a lot of value in following on Instagram those people that you think are your referral sources and getting on Instagram not as a um, entertainment source but as a business development tool for marketing so that you can specifically see if these are the 15 architects in my town or whoever that referral source is. Maybe that's realtors for you. Uh, maybe that's uh, you know developers. I don't know what that referral source is but specifically getting on their feed. And I remember in those early years, that early few years of my company, there was plenty of people that I would get on their feed, and I would purposely comment on everything they posted, even if it was just, hey, that's so cool. Your son's uh, you know, a pitcher in baseball in Little League. I'm hoping that my five-year-old starts playing next year, even though it had nothing to do with business. And they would see that, and then the next time I saw them at a – homeowners association meeting or i got real involved for many years at the uh, aia the american institute of architects austin chapter that was it gave us something else to talk about besides just hey do you have a referral for me or do you have i'm just wondering if you have a new job for me
1: right i did the same thing i joined the houston aia and they have like a monthly um you know cocktail hour Um, some kind of get-together once a month. And so I just tried to attend a few of those and just go shake hands and say, hi, this is what I do. It's a great rating. I think the other kind of untapped source, because it's it's, it's social media, but it's not viewed in the same way as Instagram and Facebook, is I've had a lot of success making connections on LinkedIn.
0: Ah, I've heard a lot of people talk about that.
1: Yeah. Tell me about that. Lots of architects, um, building science people, construction attorneys, they're on LinkedIn, they're posting, they're active. Mm -hmm. And so just being interactive with them on LinkedIn, liking their posts, commenting on their posts. I think it's kind of an un- untapped source.
0: That's a great idea. That's interesting. It's more business business oriented social media, right? Right. Rather than entertainment oriented, which is what the TikTok and the Instagrams yeah. of the world are these days. Yeah. Talk to me about how you figured out what your hourly rate might be for this consulting mm-hmm. side and uh, and if you're even willing to share with us sure. maybe some, some of what you charge that? Be that could be helpful for people out
1: there. Yeah, I've got no problem with that. So I just I started low because I didn't know where I should be, mm-hmm. and I basically just increased my my rate every few months until I felt like I was reaching some kind of pain point. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's, it's the exact same thing that we did with our pre-construction agreements too. Um, so for Shepard, I started off I think at one twenty-five an hour, and then at one fifty, then one seventy-five, and so we're, we're currently at three hundred dollars an hour. Um, there are other consultants that do similar work that charge five hundred dollars an hour. So okay. I don't I don't think that I've reached kind of the, the top of that range yet. Yeah. Um, but you know we we charge for for every hour for Shepherd at least. So if we have an, an initial site visit with somebody, we're we're building them from the very beginning. Oh, interesting. So for Shepherd, there's not a free consultation. Um, with Crafted, there is. You know, I think as a builder, we at least need to have that initial first meeting sure. just. Feel them out, get to know each other before we enter into that uh, that relationship. Yeah. Um, but again, I've done the same thing with Crafted. We we started off, I think, charging seventy five dollars uh, seventy five an hour for pre construction, $100, 125, and twenty five, and we're at one hundred and fifty an hour right now. Um, I think that's where we are too. Yeah, but different different people in the company though bill at different rates. Mm-hmm. So our, our interior designer, our CAD designer. Um, you know my time everybody has a different bill rate mm-hmm. and so we, we do have to track that
0: yeah and are you mainly it's i think you mentioned this earlier but you're mainly what i call cost plus but what you call uh, time and material on, on your projects yeah.
1: so that's a transition that we're going through right now actually mm-hmm. we have been fixed price only uh, for as long as we've been in business mm-hmm. but we are currently transitioning to a cost plus model uh, time and materials model and the reason i say time and materials is cost plus insinuates, hey, whatever it costs me, I'm going to put my markup on it, and that's it. Time and materials insinuates that we're getting paid for our time, um, but that's going to be marked up. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not billing my project manager at the whatever he's getting paid, thirty five dollars an hour. I'm billing him at what our burden labor rate is right. for him, which may be seventy five dollars an hour. So I think we're billing our P.M.s at. 125, 130 an hour or something like that. Yeah, we're right in there too. But our admin staff who maybe do purchasing and some other stuff in the background, they're billing it 50 to 75 an hour. Yeah. Um, so that's why I, I like to say it's a time and materials and not cost plus, because I don't want people to get the the feeling like they're gonna pay whatever my cost is on labor. Yeah. Now materials, yes. We're gonna show you invoices, uh, accounting of what we spend, uh, plus our markup. But labor is a whole nother animal on that. Yeah, but So we're transitioning from fixed price to cost plus. And, and the reason is, I think people today are wanting more transparency. Mm-hmm. And um, we've just noticed, especially as we move into more and more expensive kind of higher end type projects, people really wanna understand where their costs are coming from. Mm-hmm. And so the more transparent that you are with them the more they're okay with maybe spending a little more money. Whereas if it's a fixed price, maybe they might think you're trying to hide something from them. Um, Again, it goes back to them valuing your time. So if you show, hey, I'm going to spend 500 hours managing your project or a thousand hours managing your project, they may not realize that. They just see a whatever your markup is, they see a 30% markup and they freak right. out, you're making 30%? Well, I'm, I'm actually making more than that if you, if, you, yeah. if you back into it. But transparency, I think is what people are wanting in the market these days. And I've seen more and more builders transitioning to that model of contract. Yeah, for
0: sure. I'm curious as you've uh, spent a couple of years now shepherding people through uh, doing a project right or rescuing a project, Uh, And I, I probably need to go over. It sounds like you're probably by the time this is out, you've got uh, your season one that's going to be dropping uh, on your podcast. But what, what are the kind of top three or four things that you see over and over from projects that have gone south?
1: Number one, and actually my, my episode zero that's out right now is on this. It's it's called the number one project with construction, or the number one problem with construction projects, and and that is. Just a a lack of a defined scope of work. Mm. Um, so when we write a, a scope of work for Crafted, it's extremely detailed. Here's the materials we're using. Here's here's how they're being being installed. Um, it's it, it's not just a we're going to remodel this bathroom mm. or we're going to install kitchen cabinets. It's we're going to install, you know, if they're factory built X brand of cabinets with X level of finish with you know whatever, or if they're if they're um, being built, built by our carpentry staff. We are installing a solid maple cabinet with full overlay doors and soft closing bloom hinges or whatever. Uh, it's being very specific so that nothing's left of the imagination. Um, people watch so many home design shows on TV. They watch shows like yours. Sure. And they have this expectation in their head of this is what I should get. Mm-hmm. And if it's not defined and you give them maybe what your standard is and they're not getting what they think it should be, that's a huge area for conflict. Yeah,
0: that's a great point.
1: And so number one problem, in my opinion, opinion, is just not defining the scope of work that you're going to perform.
0: Yeah, I would tell you that uh, my experience has been that even if that scope of work, though, is extremely specified, that doesn't necessarily mean that a contractor is going to give you a correct price. Uh, and I'm sure you'll probably get into this in, in future episodes, but you know, what happens when the contractor realizes, oh crap, you know, I budgeted a million dollars here, but this is actually a one point whatever bill based on plans and specs that I maybe even agreed to. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, a host of things can go wrong, including maybe even them quitting or who yeah. knows what. But but that really, uh, I think that's a misnomer for a lot of young builders out there. I know it was for me. When I started my company in 05, I remember very specifically during the recession, this is like 07, 08, I had a, a prospect that was a really very detailed prospect, an engineer <laughs> who had a, uh, a very detailed set of plans. It was uh, this company here in Austin called Barley and Pfeiffer, I don't know if you've met them before, but they do a terrific set of plans. It was like 50 pages of plans, probably 100 pages of specs, everything detailed down to the Nat's tail end. And this uh, customer wanted three bids. You know, the old school, I need to get three bids Mm -hmm. on this. And so I'll make the story short. He got three bids. I was one of them. And uh, I ended up getting the job. And again, I'm shortening the story probably more than I mean. There's a whole lot more to it, but in the end, I asked the client after I got the job, why did you select me? And he selected me because he liked me and he thought we'd work together. But also I was the middle bidder. Mm-hmm. There was a bidder that was more expensive than me and there was a bidder that was less. And I asked him at some point in the in that kind of still phase when uh, uh, this was so raw in my mind, like, tell me about these bids. Like, what were the numbers? Why'd you choose me? What well, was like, one, five, one, three, and one, one on this, you know, very detailed set of plans. And I'm thinking to myself, how is it possible that there's a 30% swing in the low bid to the high bid when you've got 150 pages of documents from the architect? And they're not just boilerplate, they were like legitimate, super good drawings with super good specs. And so I looked at the bid packages from these other two guys and the uh, one contractor that was more expensive than me, excellent bid package. And if you really boiled it down, he used a more expensive cabinet maker that took the same specs for the cabinets and really turned it into more of a furniture quality cabinet. And I took the specs and took it into uh, kind of a standard quality cabinet. And then maybe one or two subs, he used a B or I used a B tier sub and he used an A tier sub, even though I use a lot of the same subs. And in fact, it's a really good builder friend of mine. It's uh, Pilgrim Builders was the other builder. Uh, Branson and his team are fantastic builders. So here I was $200,000 off from Branson, this builder that I really liked, good guy, used a lot of the same subs as me, but we were, you know, 15, 20% apart on our bid price. And the other guy that was the low bidder, he had a terrible bid. It was like an Excel spreadsheet with three pages of documents. And I was given like all the bids, all the backup, blah, blah, blah. And turns out that customer ended up building the house with me closer to one five because once he was able to talk to me about my cabinet bid and the other cabinet bid, he wanted the furniture-grade cabinets and was willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. But had he had a pre-construction agreement, or had I had a pre-construction agreement, I would have gotten paid Mm -hmm. for all my time, and I could have just as easily lost that that bidding process. And I probably Mm -hmm. spent, this is back when I was still kind of a one-man show, I probably spent 200 hours getting that bid together because I really wanted it. I wanted it to be as detailed as possible, but I could have gotten paid zero for that 200 hours had I not won it. And that's really when I said to myself, I don't know about fixed price. I think I really got to do cost plus because I need clients that I can sit on the same side of the table with and go, here's how I got paid. Everything's on the table. Now let's together figure out how to build you a really good house together. And that's not for every contractor. And honestly, that's not for every client. Uh, I think there's a lot of clients that are not the right client for a cost plus or a a, uh, time and material. But for me, that's the direction I took my business.
1: I would also say that not every builder is the right builder for every project. That's right. um, Which is kind of the number two problem that I see is people engaging with somebody who's maybe not the right builder for the project that mm-hmm. doesn't have the experience to build what they want to build. And I think as builders, we have a hard time saying that I'm not qualified to do that or that I, ha- <laughs> that I haven't done that. And look, I am totally speaking from experience uh, here because I have 100% been that guy uh, who's been like, oh uh, yeah, dude. we can do that, right? Uh, yeah, totally. And then it's like, that. oh my God, well, let's figure this out on the fly. I've never done this before. <laughs> so, um, it it's a really hard thing for us to do because our our egos and our desire to win right. that contract it's it's hard to say no so people end up hiring a builder who may not be the best fit for the project for sure and they get in there and there's just unmet expectations yeah because maybe that maybe that builder they hire doesn't have the painter that can execute that level of finish that Sorry. that they need or the drywall finisher they don't have the trim carpenters that that are that good and that's a tough situation.
0: And the other one I see a lot in Austin, which is even more tragic, is people building really modern houses with a builder who doesn't have the chops for it, <laughs> doesn't understand the waterproofing, doesn't put head flashings on, doesn't understand, uh, you know, weep systems and sliding doors and buries them. And I'm, I'm actually doing a rescue project right now for somebody that uh, built a multi million dollar house and it leaks like a sieve every time it rains. Yeah. Uh, I, and that's so heartbreaking for me.
1: I have, I have one more great example. I know we're probably uh, close to running out of time. I have a great example of a project that, that kind of checks several of these boxes that we're discussing. So I was hired about a year ago uh, with Shepherd from a guy at my church who has been under contract with his builder for four years. Uh, one of those was kind of pre-construction design, sorry, not pre-construction. He didn't do that. It was kind of working with the builder's architectural designer, Mm -hmm. which honestly was a terrible set of plans. (laughs) But now three years under construction, uh, the windows aren't even fully installed yet. Oh my god! The house is not fully roughed in yet. Dang. And so it's been honestly and, and my client will tell you this it's been a little bit on both on both sides first of all the builder didn't budget well he didn't plan well there was no pre-construction agreement so he didn't really dig in to understand what the client wanted mm-hmm. so once they got started the client's like well i want this i want that wall moved over there i don't like this design and so it's change order after change right after change order trying to get the client what he wanted. I think the intention started off good, but once you kind of get pecked that many times by the mm-hmm. by the hen, you start to not, not want to get pecked anymore. Yeah. And so the, the relationship just soured. And finally the project was basically at a standstill for months where the builder would do a little bit. And then I, I think maybe there was a little bit of robbing Peter to pay Paul going yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of post COVID and the prices, the, you know, the lumber prices were through the roof. Mm-hmm. Basically the whole project just fell apart. And the whole thing could have been prevented um, if the builder had just taken even a few weeks before the project started, charged for his time, really dug into with the client, this is really what I want. This is how I wanna use the space. This is what my family needs instead of just rush, rush, rush to get under contract and and, and get some dirt moving, right? Yeah, for sure. So anyway, four years later, the builder finally got terminated, as of a couple weeks ago. Um, and I will say this. I try to completely separate Crafted and Shepherd from my consulting clients. I don't want to get involved in the construction side. Oh, yeah, that's interesting.
0: I was curious about that.
1: It's, it's tough, though. So in this particular instance, we decided to do it. Again, he's a friend from church. And also we had spent so much time with him. We, we really had an, an understanding of the project. So we ended up taking it over hmm. as of a week ago. Um, but generally that's not necessarily a goal or, or it's that actually is, the opposite goal. No, yeah, kind of that's not a goal because I, I don't want people to feel like there's a conflict of interest there. Yeah. yeah. And so usually in that situation, I would say, you know, we can't do that. But here are three other builders that are. People that I know that are great, you should interview these guys and mm. see which one's the best fit for you. That's great. And again, pay them for their time yeah. because when you've got a project that's halfway built, man, there's a lot of hours tied up in just figuring out well, what's done, what's not done, what do mm-hmm. you have to take apart. Like we we went to put the roof on, my roofer went up, peeled back the the peel and stick to look at the decking. The decking was rotten. Oh my god! So gosh. now we're peeling all the decking and the and, and the and the membrane off the roof, Brutal. before you can move forward. So Yikes. yeah, so engage with people, understand what it is that they need mm-hmm. and get paid for your time. That's the bottom line. Man, I think that's the number one
0: thing to learn from, from our conversation here, if you're, if you're listening is get paid for your time. And uh, to your advice, Curtis, if you're not getting paid for your time, stop. <laughs> you need that, uh, hear, hear that from two wise old builders that have some gray hair. You can't do things for free. You can't do uh, months and weeks of meetings with people when you're not getting paid for that time. You've got to get paid for your pre-construction time. One last question before we uh, wrap up, though. I, I said at the, at the top of the uh, podcast that we would speak a little bit about diversifying your business, and I think it's fascinating how you've diversified your business, and I've ended up diversifying mine as well by having this, this whole video arm uh, or separate, it's a separate company uh, from my construction company. And I think I've said this in the podcast, you may you may know this already, but I've got five or six people that work for me under a labor company as well. So I actually have three uh, separate companies, a construction company, a labor company that builds my construction company, and occasionally some other people. And then my video um, uh, and website company, Build Productions. What advice do you have, or could you give that, builder who's maybe like-minded like us, maybe has 10-15 years of experience, has been asked before about consulting but has never really done that. Any advice for them on, you know, is is it possible to do that out of your construction company and kind of dip your toes in it and see if you like it or do you have to go whole hog and start a whole nother LLC and the whole shebang?
1: My recommendation is to do, is to is to separate it. I mean, as I could have done this under crafted, but I didn't want, um, honestly, for liability reasons, I didn't want somebody um, getting mad at me if I. For some reason, gave them bad advice, sure. suing my construction company right. and putting us out of business over over a consulting matter. Mm-hmm. It's also a whole separate set of insurance, you know, for uh, the consulting and owners' rep work. There's prof- a professional liability insurance, right. errors and emissions insurance. Uh, yeah, right. It's kind of a whole separate animal. So if you want to do that, I, I would encourage you to try it if you have the experience. But um, I would totally keep that separate. Just start another another LLC. They're cheap to cheap to start. Mm-hmm and uh, and is branded separately.
0: And does that higher hourly rate um, be get justified a little bit because of a slightly higher tier of um, liability for a lower amount of total dollars? You know what I mean by that? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, building, you know, as builders, we might bill a particular client several hundred thousand dollars in fees over the course of a year on a project. But as a consultant, you know, you may only bill someone 10 hours a time, but you could get sued even though you charge them
1: $3,000. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's so that's Is part of so it. So, is that part of it as well? That's part of it. But really, it's, it's for me, it's more um, just really drilling down to what the market will bear, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, again, it's, it's people valu- valuing your experience level. Um, if I was a guy that had been around for 10 years, I, I don't think, I, or five years, I couldn't charge $300 an hour. Sure. But when you've been in business for 20 years, you've kind of seen not all, but yeah. you've seen a lot of it sure. happen. Yeah. You can justify having that that higher rate. That makes sense. And, and honestly, it's the same, the same thing with pre-construction agreements. If you've been around for a long time, you should be able to command a higher hourly rate for your pre-construction yeah, uh, design process too. 100%. And And
0: is there like... Here in Texas, we have the Texas Association of Builders promulgated contract yep, we use that we use, the yep. TAB contract, as we call it. Um, is there such a thing for your consulting side, or did you have to go to your attorney and figure out, you know, here's a consulting agreement and let's modify it to make it work? Yeah, we
1: had to create our own
0: agreements yeah. for that. So you spent some bucks on that, too. I mean, your, your attorney can't be less than 500 an hour, probably. <laughs> right. Which means you spent several thousand, if not multiple, tens of thousands, getting your consulting contract together as well. Yeah. So there's there's some expenses
1: involved. It's not just a,
0: a start at tomorrow deal.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, when we first started, it was a pretty basic contract that I wrote with my experience, but I didn't keep that very long. Mm-hmm. I, it was more like testing the waters to say, hey, is this gonna work? Okay, now let's invest some money sure. to do this. At first, it was a pretty simple startup, an, an LLC, and I actually had a couple extra LLCs that, had been used years ago for something else. So we're just sitting there. So I just kind of reused an LLC that I already had. Mm. But if you have to start one, they're not that much. Yeah. Um, so that website expense, and, and that was really it to kind of just get started and just to see if it would work. And hey, if it doesn't work, a couple thousand dollars and we just shut it down if we have to. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, Curtis, so good to spend time with you, brother. Thank you. Tell us how people can find you. What are your websites and your locations sure. and all that stuff? So my uh, uh, Crafted is craftedhome.com. And then uh, Shepherd is yourprojectshepherd.com. Uh, and then our new podcast that starts next Tuesday, which will probably be after this is, or before this year. It several right? Tuesdays ago when we were yeah. here. Yeah, it's the Your Project Shepherd construction podcast. And that's focused for consumers to educate consumers on the right way to undertake a project. Man, so good, dude. So good. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, make the trip from Houston.
0: Join me here in the uh, the Rockwell Studios here in Austin, Texas. Thank you. Uh, guys, go check out his podcast. And I, I'll be honest, he's only got two episodes up today, um, but I'm really looking forward to his future content because as we've talked, I think that you're going to be providing a super valuable service for my future clients. And uh, I could even see uh, in at some point in the future builders saying, hey, Mr. Prospect, why don't you go watch these, uh, or listen to these five podcasts from Curtis. I think you're doing both build, both watch and listen, mm-hmm. uh, because that will help. He's going to help set the table for you on what to expect and how to find a good builder. And uh, you know, one thing I do when I have a prospect is I send them usually three documents very early on. My racinger roadmap, which is uh, just a three or four page document that says, "Here's how I work. Here's my fees. Here's how I get paid. Here's what you can expect." Uh, I send them a list of sample interview questions for both builders and architects (laughs) uh, that they can use on me or that they can use on my colleagues that they're interviewing because I want them to take it seriously. And then I send them that pre-construction agreement uh, right away so that they know, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to have a conversation with you that's free. Uh, And usually we're going to have a free meeting and a free ballpark. but. After that, I'm gonna charge for my time because my time is valuable. And setting that up early and setting that expectation early that when they sit across the table from you that it's business time, you know, we need to get stuff done and my time is very valuable as a builder. And that's something that I want you guys listening to this podcast to really think about is how do you bill for those uh, hours? How do you make sure that the prospects that you're working on bidding and estimating for are going to turn into an actual project. And if they don't, you got paid for your time. So there's no hard feelings uh, in the meantime. So long story short, Curtis, really appreciate your time coming down from Houston. Thank you. Guys, if you're not currently a subscriber, hit that subscribe button. We've got new content here every single Friday on the Build Show Podcast.